الجزيره بودكاست The U.S. Secretary of State has been visiting Niger, describing it as a model of resilience and democracy. What's the purpose of his trip? What does it mean for the nation and the Sahel region, where Russia and China have become more active? I'm Sami Zaydan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests into the show now. In the army, we have my man Sani, a journalist and analyst. In Washington, D.C., Daniel Eisinger, research fellow at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies at the National Defense University. And in Abuja, Kabir Adamu, managing director at Beacon Consulting, an enterprise security risk management and intelligence solutions provider in Nigeria and the Sahel region. A warm welcome to you all. If I could start with Kabir, what do you think prompted this visit by the U.S. Secretary of State? Um, thank you very much, and nice to, to be here. Um, the diplomatic relationship between Niger and the United States has been one that um, is, has been quite stable. And um, given the statements by Secretary Blinken, um, he emphasized the peaceful transition that took place in Niger in 2001. Um, now, the significance of that peaceful transition can only be understood if one looks at the neighboring states to Niger, places like Mali, um, Chad, as an example, and then more recently, Burkina Faso, as well as Guinea, where the same circumstances, but sadly the outcome uh, has dealt huge blows to, to democratic tenets within those countries. So to that extent, Niger has, is seen as a country that has managed um, its socio-economic and political challenges. Kabir, you're referring to the coups in places like Mali and so on? Exactly, uh, as well as the instability that um, the socio-economic conditions in those locations have, have, have given rise to. So apart from the instability within the governments of those states, uh, the fact that the, the people uh, feel um, you know, the presence of government is not as uh, good as it should be. In this case of Niger, we haven't seen that level of disharmony and um, I would say grievances uh, reach an extent where it has threatened um, the stability of, of, of the, the, the governance. Second point is, um, of course, the fact that Niger has provided, quote unquote, safe haven for different um, security challenges that have affected residents of the Sahel. So from Nigeria, where, as an example, in northern Nigeria, you have a waging um, security challenge, a terrorism challenge, and that has made several people to move from there to now find refuge in Niger, to Mali and to Burkina Faso. Uh, all of that is having an um, impact on, on Niger. And so these are the kind of things that may have prompted... All right, let um, me jump in there. Then, oh, if, I could, if I could bring Maman into the discussion, while the US agenda for the Secretary of State's visit includes aid, it, surely the US interests go beyond simply the, coming to the area because there is, there's a country that needs help with security, needs help with dealing with some of the issues that Kabir mentioned of displacement of people, right? The US has economic interests and security and military interests in this area too that it's seeking by this visit. Relating to this visit, uh, you know, D'Antoni Blanken, uh, the U.S. Uh, State Secretary uh, in Niger Republic, 
the Niger Republic. I think such visit has a double significance in which, uh, you know, uh, that America, the U.S. is playing a key role, uh, you know, in terms of defense and the security uh, issues in the country. Niger now, uh, it is an opportunity because it's the first time that Niger receive a, 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 you know, a very important personality from America in this particular time. In this way, it is, uh, I think, an opportunity for Niger to discuss more in order to overcome about uh, what is going, fighting terrorism, fighting banditry, kidnapping, etc., etc. All right, let me bring in Daniel now. Is there an element of competition between world powers going on here as well? When you look at the backdrop of what's happened in the last few months and years, France withdrawing from Mali, ending operations at the beginning of FASA, uh, increasing military involvement by Russia's Wagner Group in Mali, and accusations at the same, at least, of that in Burkina Faso. Is the US trying to play a bit of catch-up here? Um, well, thank you for the question and for the invitation today uh, to speak with you. Um, I, th I think that it's uh, a little too superficial uh, to frame this as simply an effort to combat, uh, you know, increasing Chinese or, or Russian influence. You know, the U.S. has been consistently engaged in Africa and in the Sahel in Niger for decades. And uh, it remains committed to building strategic partnerships uh, on the continent. And I think Niger has really emerged as a very strong partner. Um, that's particularly the case in terms of counterterrorism, as, as we've heard from the other panelists already. You know, the, the security situation in the Sahel is really deteriorated uh, almost exponentially around Niger. Um, you know, something like 40% uh, of all violent activity for militant Islamist groups in the entire continent of Africa is taking place in the Sahel. And that's largely been driven by the political instability and misgovernance that uh, has been occurring in Mali and Burkina Faso, as we've already heard. And so I think that, uh, you know, Secretary Blinken's visit uh, to Niger is a is a signal. It's it's saying that, you know, yes, there's there's been some pushback uh, in places like Mali and in, in Burkina Faso to Western intervention. But the United States is here to strengthen this partnership. Uh, it remains a, an ally and, and recognizes that in Niger, there continues to be a trajectory toward democratization. Um, you know, despite these security pressures, despite the humanitarian challenges, despite the, um, the socioeconomic challenges that Niger faces, it has been able to maintain constitutional order. Uh, it's been able to promote citizen engagement in the political realm and civilian rule. Uh, it's been able to professionalize its military uh, in the context of this ongoing counterinsurgency campaign. Um, and so I think that the, the United States is, uh, you know, the United States is there uh, to show that its foreign policy is a continued commitment uh, to, to uh, forming partnerships, strengthening partnerships with African countries uh, where it sees its interests and values are aligned. And um, I think that that's something that uh, Russia and China haven't been able to offer as consistently um, as the United States. And, and, and in fact, if you were to look at the, the involvement of uh, the Russian Wagner Group, this mercenary paramilitary unit in Mali, uh, it's quite clear that since the Wagner Group has been uh, engaged in Mali, that the situation has gotten significantly worse. 
Uh, we estimate at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies that four out of every five people killed by the Wagner Group are actually Malian civilians. Daniel, let me bring deteriorating. you the response that we would hear from some of those countries. They would point the finger back at the U.S., of course, and say, just look at the outcome of the U.S. military involvements in some parts of the world. Iraq, of course, an invasion not backed by any UN Security Council resolutions, how it ended in Afghanistan, that the US military role sometimes doesn't end in an improvement of the security or democratic institutions situation in a country either. Sure, I think that that's, that's it's fair uh, to try and pose it like that. I think, though, that you're talking about apples and oranges. The United States isn't uh, intervening in the same kind of capacity in the Sahel. Uh, in fact, it's there as a supporting partner to the Nigerian government. And and it's in that role that it's trying to in, enforce or reinforce the counterinsurgency efforts of Niger. Uh, you know, political will and uh, legitimate government are key ingredients to any effective counterinsurgency campaign. And that's why the, that's why I think the Nigerian government has been identified as such a crucial partner uh, in the counterterrorism operations that are taking place in the Sahel. I think that, you know, obviously there are still, uh, still some ingredients missing. Um, you know, there's been a, a struggle to sustain a security presence in areas that have been retaken from militant Islamist groups, uh, holding that territory and beginning to grow uh, legitimate governance in, in those areas, providing services to civilians that are facing this threat has been a major challenge. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what Secretary Blinken is there to try and uh, uh, figure out strategically with the Nigerian government? How can the United States be a partner uh, in that process in such a way that's effective? All right, let me bring Kabir back into the discussion and ask this. When we're talking now about the security challenges facing Niger, they're multi, aren't they? I mean, on the one hand, there's the, the armed struggle going on with armed groups. There's also the transition to democracy after the history of military rule, right? How key is US support and the US role for that sort of, for those security challenges? Um, I think uh, quite, quite critical. Um, what, what we've seen already is a massive um, US uh, military support. So there are several military bases, and then um, there is also a drone base that is run by, by the US, all in Niger. And the provision of um, military equipment um, for the gathering of intelligence, as well as for um, operational purposes, has been one of the key elements. And I think uh, probably one of the best that has made Niger more disposed to the kind of strategic relationship it has with the US. And yet, um, despite however, that, Kabir, let me jump in. And despite that, we've seen violence increase in Niger in 2022. Is the increasing militarization of the approach towards dealing with some of these armed groups, is it really working? Um, so we, we, we need to approach this from two angles. The internal um, grievances, the internal um, extremism and terrorism within Niger, and then the external ones. If you look at the land size of Niger and its very massive borders, and the fact that those borders are being shared with countries like Libya, as an example, and then the other countries like Guinea and Mali, where we all we have the type of security challenges we've discussed earlier. So the type of um, border 
security management that is required, sadly, is one that is not in existence at, at the moment. And um, that type of strategic conversation is not being had. Um, and this is why some of the criticisms that have been leveled against both the US as well as the Nigerian government is that the relationship is not one that is balanced. Um, the US has a strategic interest, but the Nigerian strategic interest is not being projected. And to that extent, a lot of questions have emerged over the current status of um, the G5 initiative, as well as Niger's involvement in mul the multinational right. joint tax force for a country as impoverished as Niger, uh, now having presence in two um, military um, you know, formations like the, the type I've just mentioned. And um, sadly, the circumstances in Libya that have also generated and created a security challenge for the entire region that is not being addressed you know, to the extent that it would reduce... Well, absolutely, the and, and supporters of Russia and China are, are, quite, are often quite quick to point out that that comes as the result of, of Western intervention there as they see that uh, Libya scenario. Uh, I saw Daniel put your hand up a moment ago, so I'm going to give you a chance to come back in on what Kabir was saying. Yes, I'd, I'd just like to jump in on this point that uh, the situation in Niger has deteriorated, as you, as you said, and it's 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 true that the situation in 2022 in, in Niger is you know has deteriorated. It's, by by our analysis at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, there's been a 43% increase in violent events, uh, you know, attributed to militant Islamist groups. But uh, on the other hand, fatalities were cut in half, and so the lethality of those events has diminished. Um, and 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 at the same time, if you look at the region as a whole. It's roughly 90% of all violent events by militant Islamist groups taking place in Burkina Faso and Mali. So the proportion of violence that's happening in Niger is diminishing. So I, I think that I, I wanted to make these points because the Nigerian government is doing a very good job despite uh, cascading threats and increasing pressure uh, on its security forces. And so I think it's a, a bit unfair to frame it as, you know, uh, all of these efforts are are failing. You know what we what we are unable to measure is how bad the situation would be in Niger if there were not the counterinsurgency efforts taking place. And what we can look at hypothetically is if the situation were to be increasingly militarized, say for example, like the way the Malian junta has tried to pursue uh, its 2021 and 2022 counterinsurgency with the Wagner-backed mercenaries. Uh, then you can see that actually violence would get significantly worse. And here's where I think the Nigerian government has really stand out, is a standout. It's tried to work with a population-centric approach to its counterinsurgency campaign, building legitimacy with its government, providing greater services to the communities that are faced under threat, and following up with some of these less militarized approaches. Uh, and after doing that, it can start to build support within the local communities and start to cut off revenue flows for militant Islamist groups. You know, This is a step-by-step -step strategy for how to counter militant Islamist groups. And on average around the world, in a counterinsurgency, it takes roughly six years for effective legitimate governments uh, to be uh, successful in a counterinsurgency campaign. And so I think we have to keep the sort of long-term perspective here in view. And the Nigerian government really has stepped up to that challenge. Unfortunately, 
It can't control what the neighboring governments do, particularly when you have militaries that step in and topple their civilian governments. And so you've got Burkina Faso and Mali that are destabilizing the situation for, for the larger region. Kabir, if I couldn't ask this question, the country faces serious challenges as well when it comes to climate change, right? And 40% of the country's GDP comes from agriculture. How much real attention and focus are authorities even able to give the challenge of climate change? So sadly, this is, uh, these are some of the um, criticisms that have been leveled against the a visit by Anthony Blinken, and then, of course, um, in the bilateral relationship between Niger and, and the U.S. Um, climate change. Uh, most African countries, sadly, are the receiving end of, of climate change, including Niger. And in such engagements, um, one, one would have thought this is one of the elements that, that, that would be discussed, and perhaps the need to enhance the capacity of these countries to manage the consequences of climate change. Um, unfortunately, not much is being done in that regard. And this is a function of first uh, governance, as well as the capacity of the institutions and government to um, appreciate the effect and the consequences of climate change and how that is tying into several um, challenges, including the security challenge that we're discussing, as well as economic um, challenge that we're, we're, we've just talk, talked about briefly. Um, if uh, that is not brought to the for- forefront of conversations, um, then sadly, um, the kind of attention that it would get would be where it is at the moment. And that means there is no immediate hope for you know, innovation, for introducing um, climate change adaptation um, measures. Um, and so this is another lost opportunity. All right, let's, uh, if we can, bring Daniel in again. The U.S. has vital interests in this area beyond simply security, right? Uh, yes, uh, of course. Uh, as, I, as I noted, you know, the United States has been a longtime partner in Niger. And, um, you know, security right now is the most pressing concern, I think. I mean, that's what we're hearing from, from my be- colleagues today. Security is the most pressing challenge in Niger. Um, it affects all of these other challenges that we're raising, too. Uh, you know, you can point to, to climate change and climate change is, you know, as it affects uh, local communities, as it affects the dynamics between pastoralists and farmers, uh, it contributes to growing tensions and in intercommunal violence. Uh, and all, all of this can spill over into a security challenge. Uh, the same the same is true for, for economics. If we're looking at the socioeconomic conditions in Niger, they're very challenging as well. Uh, well and that, as you, you pointed know, the, out, the... the, the the allegation is, or the criticism is, that the U.S. Niger first came, shall we say, to the attention of the U.S. public some 20 years ago with allegations about uranium. How much of a focus is there on vital economic interests for the U.S. from this region in terms of energy, in terms of vital resources? You know, I'd, I'm not particularly aware of any uh, American companies involved in the uranium sector in Niger. It is a major export of the country, surely. Um, there are other sectors that have been developing in terms of, uh, I think, uh, petroleum. Um, there, you know, the West Africa in general uh, has a significant uh, uh, gold deposits. 
And so certainly there are, you know, economic interests. I think that what we're seeing, though, from the American side is a genuine interest in partnership. And this comes directly out of the African Leaders Summit and what uh, the demand signals were from African governments towards American foreign policy. Um, they wanted increased uh, engagement at high levels like that of Secretary, Secretary of State Blinken. Um, and so, uh, you know, you could... I, I, I can't speak to uh, what the specific, uh, you know, um, uh, quantifiable interests are uh, in Niger uh, for for uh, the United States, but I can speak to the fact that a stable West Africa is writ large in the economic interests of the United States, and I think that Niger has been identified as. Uh, a crucial partner for stabilizing the region, uh, particularly at this moment, something of a, a critical juncture uh, for West Africa in its fight against militant Islamist insecurity. Um, you know, this is bleeding into increased criminality. It's bleeding into uh, increased intercommunal conflict across the region. And we're starting to see some of West African coastal countries be affected by this violence. And so identifying Niger as a, as a partner that's engaged in a stabilizing process, a democratization process, uh, and effective counterinsurgency campaigns, despite the enormous challenges that its government are, is mm -hmm. facing, right. uh, I think is exactly what the United States is aiming to do with its foreign policy. All right, let me bring Kabir in for a final one. It's got a growing population, Kabir. How, talking about stabilization, is the government in a race against time to try and meet the needs of a growing and young population in order to provide that kind of stability that it seeks? Um, definitely. And, and sadly, that is a common trend that, that runs across most um, countries in the Sahel, um, of course, including Niger. And I think this is one of the things that civil society organizations um, <clears throat> wished that had been at the forefront of conversations um, between the two countries um, under the auspices of the um, African Growth and Opportunity Act. Uh, what kind of um, support measures uh, would be put in place for Niger and its um, you know, burgeoning population to benefit from opportunities that are under um, AGOA, um, um, especially scale acquisitions um, that would provide this youth pool um, that sadly are the, being recruited by some of the groups that are behind the security challenges in Niger. Um, as long as that is not done, then um, sadly uh, it would look like the cycle of um, insecurity and the trend that is driving through the region would also eventually probably affect Niger. All right, we'll leave it there. I've got to thank our guests so much for their uh, contributions to this show. Kabir, Daniel and Maman. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Nihad Al-Abadi, Aysaba Umutlu, and Jimmy Getahan. Studio sound is by Yara Atallah. The program was edited by Muhammad Subhi, Linning Gwen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next episode.